0: Welcome to the Ron Huntley Leadership Podcast, helping leaders be a positive catalyst on the people they support, the organizations they serve, and the communities they live. This podcast will make you think, laugh, and grit your teeth with new determination to make your parish or business a place of transformation, passion, and purpose. If you're still breathing, you are Power for Impact. Have you ever asked yourself the question, Who am I, and what am I supposed to do with this life I've been given? Our guest today is Dr. Joshua Miller, a leader in the field of narrative-based motivational assessment and the co-author of Unrepeatable, cultivating the unique calling of every person. I guarantee you that by the end of this episode, you'll be equipped with a set of questions that will draw you closer to the people you work with and the ones you love. Dr. Miller calls them fulfillment stories. Enjoy this episode. Lift off, and the clock has started. I've been so blessed in my life to have people speaking into me and forming me, and Dr. Josh Miller is one of those people. He's an author, a coach, a speaker, and a trainer, and he's our guest today. Welcome,
1: Josh. Thank you, brother. It's good to be with you.
0: So tell us a little bit, like we're going to go in a few places today that I think our, our, our listeners are really going to enjoy but tell us a little bit about the book Unrepeatable. I read it. Let me just say this. I read it and I was reading it faster than I wanted to. I'm going to go back and read it again because it was one of those books that that reading it to get through it was an assault to my soul because there were so many profound moments in the book that I really needed to stop and absorb it and and sit with it because the thinking that you lay out in that book that you co-authored with Luke Burgess was so profound, but tell me, tell tell the listeners a little bit about the book.
1: So both Luke and I from different places came more and more to the realization that this glorious teaching that the church gives about personal vocation is really on the periphery of Catholic life. And it's this teaching that each unique, One has been created by God from all eternity with a specific calling, a dynamic calling, but a specific unique calling that needs to be cultivated for the sake of the body of Christ. And when we talk about vocation, just in terms of states in life and and emphasizing generally the priesthood and religious life, we leave out millions and millions and millions of persons that that need to have their callings cultivated. And it's a tragedy for the church. And the failure to cultivate each unique calling, um, I think, is one reason why there's such a lack of renewal and vitality in the church. So both of us came, came to that standpoint from different angles and felt convicted to write the book.
0: And I want to say, too, for the listeners that maybe you're not a believer, maybe you're just a friend of mine or out there a friend of somebody else's. I want you to know that this isn't just for church people. Honest to Pete, like this is absolute gold. Stay with us as we go through this podcast, because I'm telling you, this is life transforming truth that's going to make you a better husband or wife, father, business owner, like this stuff, what we're going to unpack today is absolute gold. But I agree, we have such an opportunity in the church to help people understand their personal vocation. But Josh, tell us a little bit again, for the listeners that that term might not mean anything.
1: What's Mm -hmm. that mean? It's that that each one has a set of Particular gifts, of unique gifts, is crafted with those gifts, designed by God with those gifts, and um, and is called to offer them for the good of the communities in which they're a part. And so, when when one takes one's gifts and offers them uh, uh, to others, there's both personal fulfillment in that, but also great contribution. Um, uh, the Presbyterian theologian Frederick Buchner says that the place God calls me is to is the place where my my one's gifts and the world's needs meet. Mm-hmm. And so, when people are at that threshold of of responding to a need with their gifts, um, there's just both great joy, but also um, again wonderful wonderful contribution. And each one has that place uh, that they're called to, but needs to understand it. And it's a dynamic thing, you know. Life life changes and circumstances shift, and so personal vocation is not a static reality. It's a dynamic reality, um, one that's got to be uh, listened to and worked out and co-created. Um, but it it is at that threshold of what do I have to offer and what is needed right now for me to provide.
0: And what I'm hearing as you're saying that is like, think about worldviews. You're saying that you're saying that I'm created on purpose. You're saying that I was created with particular endowments of skills, gifts, and passions versus it's a chance. It's just by chance. Like some people, right? right, It's like, no, no. Like even if you're somebody who's not sure about God or creation or any of that stuff, like, boy, I'm telling you, dance on the other side of this line of thinking for a moment. Like what Mm -hmm. if you're not just chance? What if the differences you have and the skills you have and the gifts you have and the things that make you happy, what if actually that was designed to be unleashed for your enjoyment and the benefit of others. Like what if, <laughs> like that's a huge paradigm shift.
1: So my, my grandfather, uh, we talk about this in the book years ago, was going into a big company um, as part of you know, management selection and leadership development, that sort of thing. And he sat down with a guy who was not a believer and he said to the guy, I want you to look back on your life and describe um, activities that you've really enjoyed doing and you believe you've done well, and uh, jot several of those stories down. So the man did and, and my grandfather interviewed him about those and, um, and then took the interview data and went back to his office and, and he wrote what we call a motivated abilities pattern, a pattern identifying unique design of motivation that, that emerges from, from stories, from narrative of deeply enjoyable activity. So he brought that back to the guy as part of the leadership development program in the big company. And the guy said, Art, when I sat down to write these stories, I was just jotting stuff down that I, you know, I enjoyed doing when I was a kid and in my early career and now in now my current career. And I did not intend to write any kind of a thematic document with certain themes. I didn't put those in there. And if I didn't put those in there, somebody must have. And that was a turning point for him to become a believer because he recognized that there was intentionality and design and purpose in his life already. And he just hadn't seen it yet. And so um, that's a a gift that we can offer to people when we recognize that even before they believe, even before they know God, he has designed them for joy, purpose and that these stories of fulfillment and achievement can indicate those. Designed
0: for joy and purpose. (laughs) Let that sit for a minute. You were designed for
1: joy and purpose. What a gift. We're not a blank slate. We're not a blank slate. Um, Life is not hopeless, and we can understand this combination of really joy-filled engagement but also gift purpose they're, they're not divided from one another in fact the moments of great fulfillment combine those two tell me more how do they uh, how does that work unpack well, that. um so as people begin to share stories going back as early as they can remember um and and articulate what they're doing and where they found great great satisfaction. Um, there is a unique pattern of, of giftedness that is indicated in those, and you know that that's not a silver bullet of discernment about personal vocation, but it does indicate the the trajectory, the outlines of one's call. And when we start to unpack those stories, what people realize is that there. They're almost always about some good thing, something that's true, that it's good, it's, it's often beautiful, and um, but also very, very fulfilling. And so that combination of, of doing something that uh, it, it just brings delight, but also we can see how it blesses other people. Um, we, we see those in those stories like 98% of the time. Um, And so as people are discerning next steps, what am I supposed to do with my life? Where am I supposed to go? Uh, The patterns indicated by the stories are a very significant clue um, because it's like a soul's code, right? We're we're given fingerprints, we're given a certain genetic code, uh, and the soul is not a blank slate. It wants to be a certain way. human being wants to be a certain way, and we just have to pay attention to what that is. And of course, there's other, other dimensions of, of good decision-making, good discernment. Um, but a significant clue is found uh, in this narrative, of, as we've been discussing.
0: And that, as we work that out, as we discern that, what's so beautiful about it is, I would just really encourage us all not to do it by ourselves. Like it's, Our right. discernment is so much richer right? right when we have other people helping us, because we walk around with a log in our eye. Yes. <laughs> it's hard to see ourselves, don't you find?
1: absolutely is. Yeah, it absolutely is. Um, so, you know, I helped help to develop uh, an assessment called M-Code, and I come from a family of, of um, SEMA biographers, and we spend spent a lot of time doing custom-tailored motivational assessment, and that's all good. But what I've been finding over the last several years is that the simple power of people sitting together who don't know anything about high sophisticated motivational analysis when, when they, share. <laughs> which is
0: almost all of us, just for the record, <laughs> except for you. <laughs>
1: so, so, for example, I um, I was at a high school in Tucson, Arizona, with, with juniors and seniors in a Cristo Ray school, okay, big auditorium full of kids, right? And uh, I simply described, you know, what do we mean by a story of deep fulfillment? Yes, you've enjoyed doing, you believe you've done well. Um, now, take a couple minutes, guys, and, and, and think of something that you've, you've done that you enjoyed doing and believe you did well. It could be anything. It doesn't have to be sports-related or some big success. Gee, you just love doing it. So sit for a couple minutes and think of that. And now I'm going to demonstrate for you a simple approach to drawing the story out. So I had a, a student come down, and she sat in front of everybody. took about five minutes, and I simply said, tell me about the story what did you do? Because the glory is often, it's in the action. You know, we're meant for action. And then I asked, what was so deeply satisfying about that? She shared. And I just took a minute and I reflected back what I noticed. And, you know, gave the kids a little sheet of paper with that simple outline. And then I said, all right, guys, we're going to break them into pairs. Right. And so they did that. And, um, You know, there was then a buzz for the next 20 minutes of glee-filled excitement among these young people as they're spending time sharing stories with one another. A key thing, Ron, is that seldom has a person been asked to reflect and share at a level of depth fulfillment stories. Now, it happens, of course, but my, my experience over 20 years is that a lot of folks have not done that. And again, it doesn't require a lot of significant analysis, but just that encounter between persons where they're noticed, they're heard, a unique gift that they have is observed and affirmed. That dynamic is so powerful. And it's what young people and all of us really are just hungering for to be seen and known um, for what we are and what we can provide. Mm. What did you give me some examples of
0: what you saw in that young lady as she was sharing your stories? Because I want our listeners to know
1: what kinds of things to look for. The story uh, had to do with, as I recall, um, an achievement around serving kids in need. Um, in the high school or in her community, and um, when I simply pointed out some of the things that she was doing to serve kids in need, um, she, of course, lit up, and that's what often happens is as we're bringing to the present a story from the past, we're able to represent, recall that joy, and we make it present again. So as I sat there in front of the other kids, um, and, and noted that for her, um, she just, she lit up and I shared that she lit up and, uh, you know, she got a little cheery and it wasn't a, it was, a, it were just joy, joyful tears. And at the end of it, she stood up and the kids applauded her, you know, wow. because of who she is and what she had done. Um, and of course, you know, that was, uh, a golden moment for her and her teachers, um, but that's not uncommon for for people to have uh, just that delight because they're bringing into the present something that had truly expressed who they are. Um, the joy of that, and I think the fact that in, in most every time it's also for others, they recognize that that fulfillment is a both end, um, and so there's a sort of richness to the whole thing and it's a blessing to all those who are a part of it i
0: love that i remember because of your influence in my life taking that simple principle that you literally unleashed on a whole school full of students just in a matter of minutes yeah and 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 they got to experience what it means to share their story, but also to listen to somebody else's like, both of those things are magic. Exactly. Both of those things are beautiful. And I did it with my son Mm -hmm. and I learned things about, like I've literally been with him his whole life and I'd never thought to do that. And doing that, I I gained insight into my son's heart and soul and being that I just thought, oh, wow. Like I wished... (laughs) I wished I had known how to do that so long ago because he felt heard, he felt validated, he felt listened to because I, all those things were real. I was like, holy smokes, it feels like you're standing on holy ground, actually, in a sense.
1: It's true. Because if we think about it, we can, we can and do share stories about all kinds of things with one another. And those are good and proper things. You know, I'm, I'm here near Pittsburgh. Uh, I like the Pittsburgh Steelers, and I can talk to my neighbors about that. I enjoy Italian food. I can talk about that. You know, I lived in the South in Tennessee for years, and I, as a Yankee, that was interesting. I could talk about that, right? Um, And so we share all kinds of things, you know, common projects, what's happening with soccer. Um, But we don't often pause and, and ask stories about what really deeply engages us in the way that we've shared. And when we do so, what you experienced, Ron, is not uncommon. This experience of, wow, I've known you for years, but I've never asked you about that kind of your story, uh, that kind of story. And I've never heard the interior of what really draws you and what really gives you that joy. So it's not uncommon at all for people to say, you know, I've learned about this person that I love who's in my life at a deeper level and fairly quickly. Yes. Yes. So that's the other part of it. It's, it's a mode of knowing the other where, where they can sh- authentically share. Um, we can see into their heart and soul at a deep level if we're really paying attention. And they do feel um, deeply affirmed and validated. Another great thing about this is that people are able to be vulnerable, but not in a way that's scary. Mm, all because sad. they're talking about something that, that brought them joy that was a gift for others. And so they can, in one sense, bear their soul, but not in a way that's dangerous or scary or where they show their scars. Hmm. Um, and there are scars in every person's life. Sometimes they're related to the, the, uh, the motivational drive that is revealed by those stories, but we don't have to start there. And so it's a great way to get to know persons in your life or on your team um, that, uh, Having that understanding will really help you to know them and work with them. Huh. So how can
0: how can this type of thinking, this very profound but yet simple exercise, how could that be used for church leaders?
1: In a number of ways, um, One of the things that I do in coaching is help church leaders, to walk through this simple exercise with their key partners, with their key collaborators, um, with people who uh, report to them, um, and there's great fruit that comes from it. And I'd be happy to, to share with your listeners a simple one-pager that they could download um, uh, you know, from the website to go through this exercise, but um, it's it's spending time the leader spending time with people uh, again, that are, that are important to them, just drawing out those stories and, and observing what they notice. It's, it's ideal to do at least three of them because there's always a pattern revealed there. Hmm. And that's this pattern of motivation that we've been talking about, but um, it, it's not, too difficult to see some of the fundamental themes of those patterns um, because there's such liveliness um, and such a a persistent desire to be according to those patterns in in the stories. So um, teach leaders to spend five or ten minutes on each of those stories, uh, note what they they observe, um, and there's all kinds of fruit.
0: That is so cool. Because, you know, and that's not just for church leaders, that's for business leaders or managers, people who are working with people, right? That's not limited to the
1: church, is it? No, not at all. Not at all. Um, In fact, so as a Roman Catholic, I believe very much that as a layperson, I'm called to sanctify the temporal order, to sanctify the earth, and to provide for the common good simple tools of truth that that all can use for the building up of the human person. And when the human person is flourishing, that's what God wants. In any sphere of life, in any activity, it's basically good. When people know themselves and can give of themselves, whether they're strawberry farming or, or uh, you know, serving in, in an accounting office or um, on a soccer field, when they're more of themselves, they're more of how God intended them to be. And that is a gift. So um, in any sphere, when we can help people to do what they want to do better and more, that's serving what I'm supposed to do as a lay person and helping to sanctify the earth and bring flourishing and, and, and more community, frankly.
0: I have to be honest with you. When I think about that, Josh, I think about, you know, you said, you know, when, where, when our gifts meet or align with where there is a need, Right, and we're able to take action. That's joy and purpose. And so often, as I help church leaders, first bring people into an encounter with Jesus, so that it's not just this exercise of the intellect. No, this is profound encounter and transformation that happens within us. If it doesn't start there, it's it's a it's an exercise in academics, and it's not what faith is about. And and so. And unfortunately, you can't necessarily make that happen, but you try to facilitate places where it, it may happen. That's right. But then from there, often the question is, how do we mobilize people? And so often the churches, like there's even just our sacramental needs, just to put on a weekend, you'd probably need hundreds of people, volunteers, in terms of the list of volunteers you need so that you're rotating and not burning people out. It's exhausting. And so often we put people in places that we have that we have a need as leaders like this organization needs to keep functioning we need and that's true there's a very practical pragmatic component to that and often it stops there and that breaks my heart because people can do tasks but they don't necessarily find fulfillment in those and they tend to burn out and or die spiritually maybe they'll be very diligent in doing it for long periods of time, but they'll lose their zeal, they'll lose their passion, they'll lose their joy. And we have those people in leadership that are very dutiful, but there, there is no joy in this. And it's not their fault because I don't even think we're trying. I think so often we're just trying to keep a system from falling down versus getting to know people and unleashing them for what they were absolutely designed to do. And mm. I don't know, it just seems like such a better calling.
1: Yeah, it's, I think that that sometimes we emphasize the need to uphold the institution, and it's, you know, the institutions are good, organizations are good, church structures are good. But when we focus there at the expense of Mm -hmm. the flourishing of the persons within that community, um, then we have a kind of stunted continuance. And fail to grow in the ways that we that we should, because people do experience burnout when they're just tasked with duties and they're not paid attention to, um, or they're not known for what they can provide. Um, and sometimes it's a simple matter of um, drawing out the gifts of of. Um, set of 20% of folks in the church or 15% of the people in the church and then paying attention to where they're best um, uh, catalyzed where where they're best focused and we just often don't take that simple step and of course it's the case that we have in life to do things that we we don't like to do but but when we're not cultivated or known when the gifts that we have are not named then we can't do that and we we can't have that good fit at all so we've got to Um, to try. And when we do that, there's profound fruit that happens. Um, But apart from just the job fit, right, or or the fit to, 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 to need, the act of paying attention to a person is an act of love, because love is not an abstract thing. It's not, a, it's, it's not just a focus upon the concept. And Jesus Christ, when he looks at us, does not look at us as a demographic instance. He looks, as us, he looks at us as unique persons. And we know from our own experience that, that when the people in our life are not listening to us, they're not paying attention to us, they have an agenda for us, they, 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 they're considering us as, as part of a, of, a, of a broader group and they don't know our story. We know that it's limited and that we're not really deeply loved. But when a person looks at us with the gaze of the Lord and at that moment we're all that matters to them, they're looking in our eyes, they're drawing out our stories, there's a depth of their own interior of empathy where we can find a place in that, then we know we're loved. So we're not talking here about just the fulfillment of the individual person. What we're talking about here is is imitating, as much as possible, the love of Jesus, which is about the one, each one. So when we're paying attention to a person's stories and what gives them great joy, and we're really listening, that is a moment of encounter and of love. And the world is deeply hungry for that. (laughs) And we've got to do it at, at the church. We've got to do it in, in, in our businesses and organizations for all kinds of reasons. But what we're talking about here ultimately is love for the unique person, which is what Jesus does for us.
0: Boy, there's so many things flood into my mind as you express that, Josh. I, I remember being, uh, I was in the banking industry years ago, and banking, you need to be really focused on details. And if anybody who knows me, they're probably already laughing because... <laughs> <laughs> I'm terrible at details and it was so hard. And I remember my manager, I really enjoyed him. He was a fun person to be around. He had an amazing sense of humor. He was a good man. And uh, he would say to me sometimes as I'm sharing my frustration of how bad I am at my job. And he said, no, no, you're great. And, and I thought, how can you even say that? Cause I am, I'm objectively horrible. Just look at my end basket of mistakes. But what he saw in me was that I was good with clients and I was really able to uh, uncover opportunities and, and needs in terms of our financial services. And he never focused on <laughs> my end basket uh, The auditors did, but the uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it made me, and there was lots about that job I actually couldn't stand. I loved the people. I couldn't stand the job because I wasn't good at it and because of all the details, but because of how he looked at me and spoke to me, I didn't want to let him down. And so my time there was, it had lots that I wasn't good at, lots that I didn't like, but the parts I did like were really important. Mm. And it was good for me. And it, yeah, it made for a great people culture. And I was happy, I didn't necessarily like my parts of my job, but I was happy to be there with those people. Mm. Isn't that interesting? very interesting and yet i've been in another situation where i loved the job but the lack of communication the lack of consideration uh the feeling handled versus noticed and engaged you know can lead to disengagement and you know and so yeah it's when but when you bring both of those things together boy that's when you create a high performance team that can do God's bidding for them and bring light to darkness and, and 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 create a season in people's lives where they'll always look back and say, that was the best time of my life.
1: Oh, absolutely. The best teams are those where the members know one another well. If there's just conformity yes. to, to 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 a norm that everybody's supposed to appeal to, if there's just that then people are only bringing that part of themselves that they think they can conform to the, the norm with, right? Teams are strongest when there's an inter-awareness, interdependence, uh, inter-appreciation of the unique that each person brings. So Then, then each, each, let's say, each thread of the tapestry, right? Each, each, each part of the court is strong, um, and those are the teams that are most vital, that have most grit, most resilience, um, because each one is treated as a whole in the whole, and um, we've got to move move that way, and 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 that's that's I think part of a good Christian community, which also makes sense in other you know business contexts and leadership, yes. contexts, because it's true.
0: Yeah, because I've experienced that in the church and in business, so it's not it's not unique to the church. It's mm-hmm. it's it's valuing other humans like it's really caring and yeah no that's that's absolute gold. you know you mentioned that God looks at each of us as a unique person and I'll never forget the day. I I know exactly where I was when I realized that that was true. I was 16 years old. I was on a retreat that I didn't want to go to that my mom really really encouraged me to go to and I remember the second day of that retreat. it was the evening and boy the penny dropped from my head to my heart and because i just thought i was a number i was i was one of the people who went to church i I, you know i knew god knew i was around somewhere but i didn't know he knew me until that day and boy i i really it broke my heart and i remember crying quite hard because i wasn't i was very selfish wasn't always nice to my mom and my teachers and, and uh you know, made some people's lives very challenging and difficult. And, I, and, and God loved me anyway.
1: Mm.
0: And boy, I felt like I didn't deserve it. But he didn't ask me if I deserved it. Mm. He was going to love me like a father loves a son.
1: Mm. And that changed me. Mm-hmm. When we know that love, uh, then we can, we run for it. We run towards it. And it radically changes how we treat other people as well. Um, I, I, one of the things that uh, to circle back to the first part of our conversation that, that led Luke and I to write Unrepeatable, is um, this reality that young people, youth and young adults, you know, are leaving the church in droves. Um, and besides that, just in general, there's. The levels of depression and anxiety and suicide across the Western world are horrendous. Um, So there was a study done called Going, Going, Gone by the Center for Applied Research in the Apostolate, Cara. And they asked this question of young people, you know, why are you leaving the church? Um, Massive study. And the answer came down to two fundamental answers. We're leaving the church because we're not known by name in our church communities, and we don't feel like we really belong and have somebody to contribute. And so when 60, 70, 80% of young people are leaving the church because they're not known by name and they don't feel like they belong, the answer to that is to cultivate each one's unique calling which is all about knowing them by name. It's all about letting them know that they have a gift to give that has never been given from the beginning of time and never will be given again, because it's God's gift to them. It's, it's the way that they reflect Christ to the world that no one else can reflect. And that needs to come out. That needs to be known. And when that happens, then, of course, there's contribution. Of course, there's a sense that they, their, their calling is now to provide and give. So it's both deeply affirming, but also helps them to recognize the dignity and the responsibility that they have to live their calling now, and it's so it's so dignifying. So that's what young people are crying out for, powerfully. And when we neglect to do that, we are we are um, we cause a lot of bad, <laughs> and we, we allow a lot of bad to to to, to rot. Um, so um, not sure exactly where I'm going with that, Ron, except that it, it it meets the cry of the present age, personal qualification, fulfillment that it does. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, it's the difference again, getting back to the work environment. You know, if it's a taskmaster, you're just a utility, you need to get yeah. a job done and you should not complain because we pay you. Um, and, you know, there's a taskmaster there. It's you, you'll get my you'll get my eight hours, but you won't get my heart, my imagination, mm-hmm. my creativity. And that's the same with the church. When we boil the church down to a a, a just a formula, which most churches feel like, that, and I know it's not their intent. There's so much beauty in in what we do, but when we don't bring the human element to it and bring that alive, when we don't pay attention to that, it feels cold. And, and that going, going, gone, I'm not known by name and I don't belong, that's a, that's a failure of intent. <laughs> we might be living the law of what we're supposed to do, but we're not living in the spirit of what we're called to do. And that is night and day. And that's why I love doing what I do with leaders, to try to help transform that, to bring to a spirit that I remember at one point at Saint Benedict, a lady came who belonged to a different tradition—a beautiful tradition in the Christian Church—and never been in a Catholic church in her life. And at that Mass, couldn't stop herself from crying throughout the whole Mass because she felt the Spirit's presence. And and then she named the people, the faces as well as, as what was going on in the Holy Mass. Like it was one and the other. It wasn't just one.
1: Mm. And when
0: we bring both of those things alive in praise and joy and happiness and acknowledging new people and all that other thing, stuff, well, holy jumpin's Like God is present. He's in the house.
1: Like, you know what I mean? He's in the house. He wants to raise up what is human. Yes. Um, not just overshadow it. I think sometimes in the church, we think that we ought to be about what we call spiritual things, um, meaning that you know we ought to be about our prayer, absolutely. We ought to be about the mass itself, absolutely. We ought to be about um, other dimensions of of liturgical or formal Catholic life, uh, church life, that are good. Yes, certainly. But when we forget that God intends every dimension of life to be holy, and that Our meals, our play, our sport, our simple interaction at the store are intended by God to be part of the way we live for Him. Well, then we can forget that our gifts, which often relate to mundane things, um, are supposed to be a way that we live for Jesus and for other people. And so they kind of get neglected. And frankly, the whole lay vocation then tends to get neglected. And the kind of joy that people, do have and want to have also tends to get neglected. And so we got to recognize that God, when he became man, made all things new, right? Yes. And wanted every dimension of life um, to be part of a holy act. Um, and the other great thing about drawing out these fulfillment stories is that people take joy in all kinds of things that are simple human activities and that's one reason why they're neglected, because they don't think they're, quote-unquote, yes. spiritual, right? But when they share those stories, and again, we affirm them as being glorious and wonderful, then they recognize that the Lord is in those details, uh, and, um, and he delights in those details, and they are part of the sanctification of the earth, and you know, good leadership, and good business, and good play.
0: I love that. It's funny. Let me give you an example of that, because one of the people that I coach is a priest and I did the fulfillment stories with him. And one of his stories was assembling the dryer in his mother's cottage or his mother's house. Like that was the story that gave him deep fulfillment. I love it. Right. Isn't that awesome?
1: It's wonderful. It's so wonderful. I, I was, I was um, taking a priest also uh, uh, through a little achievement story exercise. And this dear priest was dyslexic, uh, actually a Canadian priest. Yes. And he came to me after a talk, just weeping, because he said, I'm not like these guys. I can't read very well, I can't speak very well, but I love doing hands on work. So this priest had rewired his entire church by himself, saved about $50,000. And then he started to share his interactions with other workmen and other construction projects. Awesome! And I stood there listening to him and I said, father, um, look what you're doing there. As you're setting an example of of joy filled work with your hands. And he, he, he was ministering to, uh, to his people in that way. And it was, a, it was a part of his priesthood that was just so wonderful, but needed to be affirmed and recognized. Yeah,
0: probably undervalued.
1: Yes, absolutely undervalued. That's why he was weeping. But but um, he saw, as he shared his story, both the good that he was providing and the great joy. And that it wasn't something just extraneous, but you know, part of the way that he can be a priest. And- um, That is so great, Josh. Delightful story. <laughs> oh.
0: You are making my day. So one of the things that you mentioned earlier, and we're going to take you up on that. I'm going to get that one page from you and people can go to the website, ronhuntley.com and and download that. But um, motivational themes, like is there a certain amount of names that you've uncovered? Like I'm sure this would be unexhaustible in some sense, but you probably have to codify it. How many themes have you recognized in your research and the work you've done?
1: So, in the M code assessment that I mentioned earlier, um, we have identified 27 themes, and okay. we, could, we could break those up into, into more or a little bit less. Um, but research over the last several decades has has provided those. And so as people go through the assessment, we identify the top five themes and break those down to, to three, and they're woven together in a unique and particular way. Um, and so normally there's, there's, at the heart of a person's petitive motivation, this integrated drive where there are generally about, about three core themes pulled together. Um, those are seen in those fulfillment stories, particularly when people respond to the question, what was most deeply satisfying? Um, and we don't need the themes of M-code to identify what's there it's helpful it's very very helpful and i recommend it but it's not necessary um so when we pay attention to what really brings the joy is there's a it is the the presence of a consistent soul's code there mm-hmm. and when we pay attention we can see it and i i do this with with people on a very regularly regular basis um it doesn't take long for them to recognize uh, the heartbeat of an authentic and unique pattern.
0: I can attest to that because you've done it with me and you're gifted at it. I've done it with others and, and I'm growing in my ability, but you, you, are a master of it. You have really gifted at it and you bring it out in other people and you are a gift to the church. You know, I'm sure as our listeners are following along in this podcast, they're thinking, I have got to get that man out to my church or out to my event or out to my diocese to train and to speak into people because this is gold. How do people get in touch with you? What would be the best way?
1: So... Uh, They can go to uh, inscapevocations.com and see uh, more about personal vocation. And then they can email me directly uh, at josh at inscapevocations.com. And I would be happy to respond and um, really enjoy being in a situation where I can train um, mentors and coaches. Uh, to walk through the simple process of of drawing out fulfillment stories, and then using the insights for for team building, for mentorship, and especially for cultivation of personal vocation.
0: I'll also encourage you guys. You have to pick up the book Unrepeatable, and and don't set yourself a deadline to get through it. Read it until you hit the first bomb that blows your mind and then rest with it as long as you need to, and then start reading again. It is a wonderful book. Dr. Josh Miller, thank you for being with us today. I am so inspired, and I I know our guests are, too.
1: Thank you, Ron. It's a real delight to be with you, and I so appreciate who you are and what you bring to the church and to the world at large. Thank you.
0: God bless. I challenge you to find a few friends you care about, ask them to write out a few fulfillment stories and follow it up by asking what they specifically did and what it was that they found deeply satisfying. I did the exercise with my son, found out so many cool things about and I previously didn't know. Give it a try. If you find anything cool about that experience, send me an email at connect at ronhuntley.com. I would love to be encouraged by your insights. And if you found this episode interesting, share it with a friend who you think would enjoy the content. We'll see you next time. I want to encourage you, as you lead this week, be faithful to God and generous to others. See you next time. And remember, if you're still breathing, you are powered for
1: impact.